Welcome back to Nebraska Hawks Nest. I'm Adam, joined here by former Iowa kicker Kyle Schlicker. How's it going, man? I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing fantastic. We're really excited to have you on today. And <laughs> hey, got to tell everybody out there, give this video a like and also subscribe so you can get all of our latest Iowa Hawkeye uh, player interviews get updated on those all the time. Um, Kyle, I uh, want to start at the very beginning with you. Um, I've done research. I do a lot of research on recruiting. I just think it's interesting. And um, I this is kind of a two-part question. Um, you had some interest from, I think, offers from like Wisconsin and uh, other than Iowa, and you had Iowa State as well. Um, tell us about your recruiting process coming out of high school, what that was like, what schools you were considering, and also kind of wanted to get your thoughts on why aren't kickers more highly recruited than they are? Than they should be, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, growing up, I was a big baseball and soccer player, and all my friends, you know, we'd move. I'd moved to Ankeny, Iowa, around fifth grade, and you know, as soon as I moved to Ankeny, I, I quickly found out that nobody was into soccer. Nobody, and um, all my friends that I became uh, acquainted with were all football players. And uh, you know, it wasn't until my freshman year of high school that I kicked the football. Um, I'd always, I've always had this this weird ability to kick a ball far. It, it just, you know, whether it be out of recess. Or, uh, you know, during soccer games, uh, the ball would just fly. And, uh, geez, my buddies talked me into going up for football in ninth grade because I was fast. And I remember trying out for B-team running back and uh, kickoff and punt returner. And I did well. But, you know, I didn't understand the game. I was a, I was a soccer player, you know, like, and I was thrown into the game, too. Like, no one really showed me how to do anything, like, what – the schemes were and the plays, like what the gaps were. I mean, I remember just getting the football and my coach was like, you know, you got to, you know, run through the B gap and, you know, do this and that. And I was just like, you mean just th run to the end zone without getting tackled? <laughs> okay, sure. But then it wasn't until kicker tryouts, um, you know, a bunch of, bunch of big guys lined up and toe bashed it and, you know, it would, it would trickle down the field. And I remember, uh, you know, blasting it over the returner's head through the end zone as a freshman. And from that point on, I became the varsity kicker. And um, so fast forward to my sophomore year of high school, uh, I was doing very well, um, scoring lots of points. And that was my first, that was the year I got my first division one football offer from uh, uh, Pittsburgh, Paul Rhodes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and actually um, the job I just had uh, with Naval Special Warfare, his son went through the training. Um, I don't think he ultimately made it, but uh uh, I got a chance to kind of reunite and he, he remembers me. I mean, he was super young, but uh, yeah, his dad was the first one to ever offer me my first division one football scholarship with uh, university of Pittsburgh. That was my sophomore year of high school. And really after that, it was like a roller coaster. I mean, it, uh, uh, I started getting, um, you know, a bunch of D two D three offers, but then my senior year, actually my junior year, the end of my junior year, that's when I really, I had uh, Florida State. I had a Nebraska gray shirt offer. Um, I had Iowa State, Wisconsin, um, Iowa, obviously. Um, and I might be missing one. I think, I, I think in total I had seven D1 okay. offers com coming out. <clears throat> you know, and, you know, I don't know if the rules have changed, but back then we were only allowed to take five official visits. I think and it's the same now. Yeah, I mean, that's enough. It really is. 
So I had to whittle my choices down and uh, I went to five official visits. Uh, I mean, my parents flew me down to Florida State. That was kind of like my dream, um, you know, because of just and, and again, I didn't really know. I didn't still at that point. I didn't know much about the game of football. I, I really just knew like, hey, kick this ball as far as you can through, the, through those uprights. Um, it actually made a lot of my friends mad because, you know, they all grew up playing peewee football and, you know, they had the dreams to go on and play. And here I was like walking in just. I had this natural ability and, and it, it helped that I had a great coach too, Peter Rame from Ankeny. He, uh, he really, he helped me turn that, uh, that talent into, you know, really hone it. And uh, he brought me down, you know, when I was on cloud nine, he brought me down to earth many times. Um, and uh, yeah, I went on five official visits and I actually committed to Wisconsin. I actually committed to Wisconsin the weekend before I visited Iowa. Okay. So, and I, I remember committing, you know, I remember sitting in Barry Alvarez's office at his home and, uh, you know, I was going to be the starting kicker there. And knowing that Nate Kading was uh, already a great kicker for Iowa, um, I saw that as, a, as an opportunity to keep going. You know, all, all high school kids, man, they, they want to go right in and play. But yeah. what I will say, you know, a few and far between actually make a big impact. Um, if you do make a big in impact as a freshman, I mean, that is incredible. It's a huge growing experience, but yeah, I ultimately visited Iowa and, uh, completely changed my mind. And the Wisconsin coaches, man, they were, they were pretty pissed. Um, <laughs> well, cause they, they didn't have, they didn't have a kicker. So they had to scramble and believe it or not, Daryl Wilson was the special teams coach at Wisconsin at the time. So he ended up leaving with me. Uh, well, not with me, but we ended up at Iowa at the same exact time. And I had committed to him and we became great friends and um, it ended up being a great, uh, great story. Um, but anyway, knowing that Kading was there, I committed just because Coach Ferentz, he, you know, he sold me on the family and uh, it was a great place to be. And, and just, you know, um, I had that, that, that one weekend for my official visit. I mean, it was just an amazing experience. You know, Kading took me under his wing. I really learned the value of hard work and uh, just humility. Um, you know, Nate was already uh, an amazing kicker and he, he accomplished everything in my first two years that I had aspired to, you know, I wanted to be the best, but I mean, Nate was on another level. There was no, there was no way I was going to compare to him after I saw the ball come off his foot. Um, but my goal was, was to um, mimic what he did, you know, make it so that when he left there, there really that wasn't that much of a difference. And, um, you know, that's my evaluating my own career at Iowa is it's, it's, it's unfair. I'd rather leave that to the, to the people. <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty interesting recruiting process. And one thing I've never understood is kickers are such an important part of the game. They can win, win and lose games all the time. You know, you obviously look in the scoring books, most of the highest scoring players on teams are kickers. Why are they not more highly recruited? Most of them, it seems like they either end up walking on or don't very, have very many offers at all. Do you have any clue why that would be? Well, you know, the, there always, there's always a classic saying that, you know, kickers are head cases. And, um, you know, I think that's, it's fair to say to some regard, but everyone's nuts. I mean, I was roommates with Matt Roth for three and a half years. He was nuts. Great guy, but he was nuts, <laughs> you know? I mean, but – People like that, you know, they have to be that way when you're playing that type of position. I mean, uh, it kind of relates to like uh, the, the job I had for the last 14 years training, uh, you know, SEAL candidates. Like, 
you know, they try to do all this intelligence testing to try to see who can fit the bill. And quite frankly, sometimes you need that guy who has several screws loose. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, he fits the, he fits the job in other ways that other people don't. Um, but you know, it's, uh, I don't know why they're not heavily recruited because yes, I mean, I ended up being the leading scorer all three years that I, that I was playing. Um, and you know, you don't think about that in the beginning of the season. It just so happens that way because if your coach trusts you and you're doing the things on and off the field that you're supposed to be doing, uh, and you're proving yourself to your teammates day in and day out of practice, there's no reason why your coach shouldn't be putting you in for, for every opportunity possible. Um, you know, I, I train a couple high school kickers in the area and their coaches are, and a lot of high school coaches are very just quarterback run it old school style. They don't really believe in special teams. And that blows my mind because it's simple statistics. I mean, it doesn't have to be a great kicker. It could be just, it could be a great punter who provides you with great field position. Um, and you know, maybe they don't, they're not seeing those stats or maybe it's not as sexy as they want it to be. Um, but you know, the truth is in the facts. I, uh, it's something I've never understood, but you know, it's, it's the skill position players get all the attention. But if you look, I mean, if I was a coach, I'm one of the main <laughs> roles I'm going to be looking to focus my recruiting on is get to get a good kicker. I mean, it could make or break your season in so many ways that we've seen over the years. Um, mm -hmm. You know, speaking of the importance of a kicker, um, I wanted to kind of uh, go back to the Capital One Bowl. Um, I believe 2005, the infamous game. We had Drew Tate on. <laughs> um, Drew talked about that whole game. Uh, he talked about the plan going out there was to just get down the field for you to kick it. Yeah. Um, that everybody had full confidence in you. You'd had a really good season. So mm -hmm. the plan was, okay, we're going to get a couple plays down the field and, you know, Kyle's going to come out and kick, kick a field goal to win the game. Going through um, the atmosphere of that game first off and then going into that final drive, um, we're always curious to why nobody called a timeout, why, you know, we didn't regroup to, you know, come up with a plan. Thank God it worked out the way that it did. <laughs> and also, how are you preparing mentally to know I'm in one of the biggest bowl games in the country, you know, borderline New Year's six bowl game. And, you know, I'm on national TV in front of the whole country and I'm going to I'm probably going to be kicking with the game on the line. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting because um, I think I kicked around 50, 50, 53 or 54 field goals uh, in my three years. And I don't really remember a lot of those exact moments, but I remember being on the sidelines and, you know, I remember slowing things down and really taking things in. You know, I had a lot of great people telling me what a great situation I had and I knew it. And I, you know, the time flew by so fast, but that particular moment, I remember pacing back and forth, uh, you know, coach Ferentz, he kept, he kept, um, he kept, sorry, I keep having notifications popped up. Popping That's all up. good. Um, he kept, he kept popping his head down by my net to try to look for me, uh, you know, doing his thing where he would take off his headset and be like, you good, you good. You know, and, and, you know, me, I was, I was trained to like, not, this might sound kind of, idiotic or backwards, but I was actually trained, uh, but to not know what the situation was. So like, I really wouldn't look at the scoreboard quite a bit. I never really knew what yard line I was on or how far I was kicking because mentally you should really approach every field goal the same, um, regardless of the situation. Um, 
and that was a good strategy. But I do remember uh, pacing back and forth and then uh, standing right next to Coach Ferentz as Tate, uh, as the ball was snapped. As soon as the ball was snapped, he was pushing me out onto the field. Um, so I was actually, as he threw the ball, the camera doesn't show it, but I'm actually on the field, like ready for, you know, I was trotting out there and my field goal team was behind me. Uh, we were trotting out there getting ready for like a Toro situation or some sort of quick timeout um, because we knew that was the plan. And then he caught it. Uh, Warren caught it. And uh, I just remember stopping in the middle of the field. And, you know, the crowd, the stadium was just going absolute nuts. You know, our side, we were facing the LSU fans, so <laughs> they weren't doing anything. I mean, they were all in shock. But then, and then I remember my entire team just running by me. Like, I, I didn't participate in the pylon. Uh, I just remember standing there and, like, watching everything happen. It was, it, was, it was pretty cool. You know, it's one of those instances where you wish you were wearing, like, a, a GoPro or something because, um, you know, it would have been some great footage. To, I mean, literally, the whole team was rushing by me. Everyone was slapping my head, slapping my pads, and, you know, watching the pylon. And that night, celebrations were great, too. Did you guys make it back to Iowa City or did you celebrate in Orlando? We celebrated in Orlando. We stayed there. Uh, we all stayed there another night. I believe at that time you had to have like a, like, a, like a permission slip if your parents were there, like if your family was there. Some guys stayed. I think, you know what, Orlando, I think I ended up staying there like an extra three days with my family. Um, but, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, I mean, it was, we, stayed, we were staying at the Peabody Hotel with the ducks, I mean that it was, it was an incredible experience. And that that particular night, um, yes, the fist the festivities went deep into the night. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, deservedly so. I mean, you guys came in, you're playing the defending national champions, and then you got Nick Saban getting ready to leave to the NFL uh, to, to go coach the Miami Dolphins, and that always kind of made made us as Iowa fans feel great that we sent him out of LSU with a loss to us. And it is cool I, to tell people that I beat Dick Saban. Yeah, that's <laughs> they just came out Fox Sports with a thing like all the schools Nick Saban's beat, and then some Iowa fans said, "Well, why don't you post who's beat him? How about that?" Very so nice. that was pretty cool. I was telling, I told Drew a little story. A couple rows in front of us at the Capital One Bowl. His family was all sitting there and um, they were holding up like, so, like some white signs that said Drew, D-R-E-W across it. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it was like his uncle. And uh, he was like, I kind of remember that. But um, his uncle got, you know, and the beers were flowing. I mean, That's in that right. game, you know, it's like 80 something degrees outside, you know. We, and so it was it was a lot of fun. But his uncle got popped in the nose mm. on accident after that catch and he had blood running down his face and <laughs> everyone just threw their drinks up in the air. It was, yeah. it was pretty wild. So, um, you know what? Uh, I actually, ha I actually have my capital one bowl ring. Do you want to see it? Absolutely. I want to see it. So this is uh, I'm sorry. I, I just took on a uh, residential realty job. So I'm, I'm in our uh, apartment office, but uh, I don't really have a spot for any of these at home. I'll bring them all out so you can show them. So you Absolutely. Can them. That sounds awesome. Um, you know, these uh, typically aren't out in the open very much. You see here. You should tell us the story about that cool helmet sitting behind you, too, that was on the, on the shelf when you get done showing us the rings. Sure. All right. Here you go. I'm going to flip the – can I flip the screen? Probably. Camera. Oh no! It canceled. Nope. It, bl 
It blocked here you, you out. Here you go. Can you see? Wow, it? that's beautiful. So right here, that's the Capital One Bowl slash uh, Big Ten Championship ring in two thousand from two thousand four to two thousand five. Wow, Here's Orange Bowl ring from O two, and Big Ten Championship ring from O two, and Outback Bowl from O four. Very cool. How often do you put those babies back on? You know what? Only one of them fits me. Um, I was a, uh, you know, a, a strength and conditioning coach with Naval Special Warfare for 14 years. So uh, doing a lot of Olympic weightlifting and my knuckles, my knuckles have gotten a little bit bigger. And um, yeah, one, only one of them fits me. And I, I have to squeeze it on with a little bit of Vaseline if I, mm -hmm. if I wear it to, I don't really wear it that much, but there are some events that I get invited back to. Um, you know, Big Ten Championship reunion events, iClub events um, that uh, I'll wear them to because it is, you know, again, I, I don't, I'm not too boastful about it. It's nice to talk about it when people ask me, but uh, yeah, the helmet behind me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this, nice. Uh, yeah, it actually, I don't know if you can see it. it has my name engraved. Oh, yeah. Know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this, among other things, you know, your senior year of football, when you've spent so much time in that facility and with those coaches uh, and with all those players, I mean, I was number one. So, like, my locker was right next to Fred Russell, um, you know, that whole side, you know, just look at all the numbers. I was the lowest. I was right there tucked in the corner next to all these really cool guys. And uh, I remember on my last day when we flew back from the Alamo Bowl, um, you know, they give you basically, I think, like 30 days after that, unless you're like, you know, a, a big NFL prospect to clean out your stuff. And I remember uh, mine was uh, all of ours, all of us seniors at the time were cleaned out a little prematurely. And I remember like, you know, walking in after five years and seeing all my stuff that was in my locker for, you know, five years uh, in a trash bag, you know, in my locker. My name was stripped off my lot. It was like, you know, it was just a very surreal moment because um, it's like, they just, you know, mach the machine goes on, flickers out. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was kind of sad, but at the same time, like I get it, but I remember walking out with that bag and, uh, you know, taking a bunch of pictures and this and that, cause it all happened so quick. And I'm very, I'm very nostalgic person. The, uh, equipment room door was, was open. And again, being number one, it was, it was, it was numbered right there. So number one was right by the door and, you know, there were my shoulder pads. I didn't want to take my shoulder pads. Um, and uh, I didn't really have much other equipment because all my kicking stuff and all my other knee pads and stuff I got to keep. But uh, in my practice pad, my practice uh, jerseys and my practice pants, I, I have everything in bins at my house. But my helmet was sitting there and I was like, you know what? It's got my name engraved on it. And there was a lot of sweat and blood that went into that. Um, yeah, I swiped it and walked out. <laughs> I don't I don't blame you. Uh, <laughs> Keith Duncan took his too. And like, yeah. uh, you know, I think most a lot of players are taking theirs more and more. The, uh, we actually interviewed Greg Morris on here and he was on and we did an interview with him. And I had a lot of fans reach out to me and be like, that guy's a stickler. Like he is on the ball. And I know that I hadn't really known this before I talked to Greg, but Greg told me in the interview, he goes, <clears throat> I'm not everyone's favorite guy sometimes, but no. I, I do my I do what I got to do. I'm like, huh? 
Well, the thing about it is I don't know, you know, I also worked with a, uh, like a, you know, a logistics specialist, uh, that would, you know, take care of all, all of our gear, um, with Naval Special Warfare. And he was kind of the same way. So there must be something, there must be something with those guys' jobs where like the, the, the least amount of stuff that they give out, the better they do. I, I, who, who knows? But you know, yeah, you know, as a kicker, I didn't need much stuff. I didn't, I didn't go through gloves. I didn't go, you know, some guys would abuse it, you know, just cause they wanted more gear. Yeah. Um, but you know, some things that I would get frustrated with was like, you know, as a kicker, my shoes, my kicking shoes were pretty, my soccer shoes were pretty expensive. And, you know, uh, Greg basically at the beginning of my freshman year, he ordered like 10 pairs of the shoes that I wanted. And I went through all of them in five years. But with kickers, your, your toe drags, your toe drags just a little bit, um, you know, if you're playing on turf, especially. And so, you're, so your toe would split, the, the sole would start to split away from the leather. And, um, you know, I think that uh, I pestered him a little bit to fix them here and there or like, you know, for a new pair. And he'd be like, no, you don't need a new pair. You know, just let me fix them. And so they'd put that shoe goo on and, okay. you know, let it, let it sit overnight. And then it would just split open the next morning. I mean, you know, Greg and I, it, again, it was a, it was a love hate because he, you know, uh, I'd always stop by the window and talk to him, and and you know, I I kind of like that with people who are um, people who are like grumpy all the time. I kind of like to like kill them with charm a little bit, yeah, because you know? they hate they hate being nice. So yeah, I, I like to kill them with charm a little bit, so they're forced to be nice. <laughs> well, what would have happened if you're getting ready to like plant for a really important kick and your shoe splits on you? Like, you know, what would have been the consequences there? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the, the thought process behind all that, but, uh, and, and why he, you know, some guys, I mean, he, you know, if you like, I remember if you were a, if you were a super duper all American, he loved you. He gave you everything you wanted, you know, and okay. I'm not going to hold it. I'm not going to hold it against him. I mean, I, of course I wanted to be a super duper all American, but, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, Greg, he's, if he's still the way he is now, I mean, good for him. He's one of, he's, he's, he's persistent and he's consistent and, uh, relentless. <laughs> Speaking of the behind the scenes things, um, I just have a feeling, you know, you already have had some pretty cool stories um, in the locker room, weight room, practice, <laughs> those type of things. Do you got any cool stories about some really interesting things that happened? We had Tyler Kluver on from Washed Up Walk-Ons that uh, <clears throat> was a long snapper for the Hawkeyes, talked about walking out of the locker room into the player's lounge and then a guy on the team was just sitting working on the computer buck naked and everybody was like, what in the hell are you doing, man? Do you have any like interesting, cool stories like that? Cause I got a feeling you do. Uh, well, I'll give you a couple. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard, of, I don't know if you heard about, uh, Roth ripping gallery's face mask off in no. practice. Yeah. That, uh, you know, they would always pair up gallery or you know the number one offensive lineman with the number one defensive lineman during practice just to give good looks and um but you know matt i mean geez the guy he didn't know how to go half speed he didn't he didn't know anything other than going all out and uh i think robert um you know got fed up with it and uh you know they got into a little bit of a scuffle and matt and, and roth just ripped his uh face mask right out of his right off of his helmet like you know those things are bolted in and, yeah that's not um, an easy thing to do 
But, uh, you know, another one, you know, one that happened to me, I mean, geez, uh, you know, I got, I got hazed quite a bit my freshman year. I mean, it's, I don't think it really happens much anymore, but, uh, you know, there's a bit of a rite of passage. Um, and here I was a highly recruited kicker coming into a, you know, a division one school. And I'll admit I was, I was arrogant. You know, I thought I was, um, you know, I knew I was sitting behind Nate, but at the same time, I, um, you could say that I, my parents did a good job of telling me not to put up with any crap, but at the same time, I needed, I needed to be humbled. And I remember we had a, uh, um, I was never late for practice. I, actually, I was never late for anything in my entire five years, except for this one time. And um, I remember going down to the, uh, my locker, um, going downstairs in the, Jacob, the old uh, Jacobson Athletic Building, and none of my stuff was in my locker. Couldn't find anything. Like, and here I was like freaking out because I'm going to be late. And everyone's just, everyone's just laughing at me. No one's like giving me any clues. I ended up being late. Uh, all my stuff was double-sided taped to the ceiling. <laughs> so I had to like, I had to like go get, um, you know, I had to go get the uh, custodian, have him get his tall ladder down and, you know, but uh, we also had a plunge pool. I got thrown in the plunge pool, which was, you know, kind of a ritual. And that thing was nasty because, you know, you have a hundred and, you have 130 players that go into that thing after practice without showering. Um, so the water turns from clear to, to a, to a deep brownish green pretty quick. <laughs> That's sick. Did you ever find out who had a hand in taping your stuff up to the ceiling? No, you know, you could pretty much bet it was the seniors. Um, yeah. And uh, actually tomorrow I have a, I have an interview with Colin Cole for legends of Kinnick. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that he, cause he was a senior when I was a freshman and I'm, I'm sure that he played a part in that, but you know, it's all, it's all in good fun. I mean, at the time I, I remember being, you know, you never know exactly what your teammates are thinking of you when they're doing this stuff to you, right? <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I, I needed to be humbled. I deserved it. And, uh, from that point on, it was, it was smooth sailing. Uh, tell us a little bit about your appearance on the Jim Rome show. How <laughs> how did that happen? Because that was, uh, I think you like extended the, like the Kyle streak or something yep. like that. How did uh, how did that go? They go about getting you on there. All of a sudden, I was in my gym um, at, the, at the Navy base up here in Waukegan, Illinois, and all of a sudden, I got a phone call. Um, and I always pick up the phone, no matter who it is. And uh, all of a sudden, it was like, hey, Kyle, this is so-and-so from the Jim Rome show. And I didn't know who Jim Rome was. I mean, I, I just don't, you know, I don't, listen, I don't really listen to the radio. Uh, but uh, they were like, yeah, we'd like to interview you. Um, we'll give you a call. Is that okay? You know, blah, blah, blah. We'll give you a call here in about 15 minutes, and you'll be live. And I was like, sure, you know, because I'd done a bunch of, like, Hawkeye interviews throughout the years. And I just thought maybe that – yeah, that's what they want to talk about. So no big deal. And it wasn't until I hung up and I, I asked all my buddies that I'm working with, like, Hey, who's Jim Rome? And they were like, what? You're about to be on Jim Rome. You know, like it blew my mind. And then as soon as it started, I mean, my phone was just blowing up. Like as I was talking, just text message after text message, I, I, I had no clue that so many of my friends from high school and, and people I knew in Iowa who had my number, like uh, listened to Jim Rome, but that, Yeah. They were just extending the Kyle streak. And once, once we started talking and he, you know, I told him about what I was doing, 
apparently like I talked to him for the longest, I guess it was like a 15 to 20 minute conversation and like no other Kyle had done that. So I guess chalk that, chalk that one up, you know, I guess uh, uh, that was a pretty incredible thing. But again, him and I were just talking about Hawkeye football and um, what I was doing at the time and what I'm doing now and blah, blah, Did blah. he know anything about you at all? He knew nothing. So that I think that's, I think that's like, once I started, you know, talking about stuff and he's like, wait, 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 what are you doing? And I technically, I, I actually got in a little bit of trouble for telling him what I did. Cause you know, we, we were at the time we weren't really supposed to advertise what we were doing with who. So. Okay. Well, he's always been, he's been super critical uh, of Kirk Ferentz in the past because Kirk won't ever come on his show and do an interview with him. So he, he slams him all the time. Uh, tell <laughs> us a little bit about what your relationship was like with Coach Ferentz. My relationship with Coach Ferentz was uh, and you know, this is my perception. I'm sure that I hope that he has a different version, but you know, he was a, an intimidating person um, and he didn't inflict intimidation. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like he, yeah. I had so much respect and I wanted to do so well because here he had, you know, Nate and I so badly wanted to live up to Nate's expectations for him because, you know, coach parents, he didn't, he didn't have to give me a, he didn't have to offer me a scholarship. I mean, he already had a kicker. Uh, with Nate, you know, for at least a couple more seasons. And so I was very, very grateful in the beginning um, just for that. So, you know, if I had to uh, uh, explain it, it's almost like, uh, you know, he was very stern when he walked down the hallway, you would get nervous. And only because he was such a powerful, you know, very influential. I mean, you know, I would have done anything for him. Um, Still would. I mean, you know, and, but the thing is, is that his door was always open. It was never closed. You could go into his office at any time, ask him anything, talk to him about anything. And I wish I would have taken advantage of that. That's something that I didn't take advantage of because, and I don't know, I think I was just, I think I was just, you know, uh, intimidated in a way that, uh, it was just, you could say it was a very, very professional, strict professional relationship. Like I knew I had a job to do and I didn't want to let him down. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and, and I also assumed like he never, you know, we would do, and we would do yearly uh, evaluations where I would just, you know, I'd go into his office and, you know, he would, we would talk about goals and ambitions and all that stuff, what his expectations. But, um, you know, I never really talked to him outside of practice and at games, uh, in, in a more intimate atmosphere, like in his office, I guess I just assumed that like, if I'm doing things right, I, I I'm not going to have to. And, you know, I, I did do things right. And th he did a great job of preparing me for my first year in 2004. You know, he, he knew that I was going to make mistakes. He knew that I was going to miss field goals. And I, re I remember that putting me at ease because I did miss a few. Um, I didn't miss too many that year. That was my best year. Um, but, uh, yeah. So I don't know if that all makes sense. It's kind of, no, that makes a lot of sense. And, I can respect the heck out of, you know, you being honest like that and, you know, telling your perspective, because I think a lot of players probably feel the same way. It's not that he is, you know, a purposefully being an intimidating person. It's just that he's got that very focused demeanor and, yeah. you know, he's accomplished so much and, you know, you just want to make sure that you're doing things the right way and staying in his good graces. 
was as soon as I became the starting kicker, you know, Nate really did a good job of preparing me for that too. And and I remember just it, it was just strictly business, man. It was all like I have a job to do. There's a lot of people relying on me, and I got to make sure. You know, he'd always talk about that, like do your job. Um, um, and yeah, it was like no no bullshit, just do your job. Yeah. Well, as far as, you know, your position, the kicking game goes, um, a couple people have kind of said that they felt like your, your, um, demeanor and Keith Duncan's demeanor are, are kind of got some similarities. You guys are both very outgoing, well-spoken guys. What, uh, what is your outlook on Keith Duncan's career at Iowa and the infamous kiss at the end of the, the Nebraska game that we all come to love so much? You know, I haven't met Keith, but I have a feeling that him and I, uh, we would probably end up drinking a lot of beers together and there'd be a lot of high fives. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm super jealous because, you know, I, I never got the get the true game winning opportunity. Uh, and I think comparatively speaking, you know, like we also did better in the five years that I was there than his teams did in his, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but neither here nor there, gosh, you know, like seeing even Daniel Murray, like, Dan, like, I hosted Daniel Murray and then to see him get that opportunity against, uh, I think it was Penn state. Um, yep. you know, even though he didn't really, uh, you know, have the career that I did per se, as far as opportunities and this and that, he did have that one. Um, and you know, I never, I had a couple moments, I had a couple glimpses and, you know, uh, but that true game winning experience, I'm super jealous of And Keith. I mean, geez, He's at like three or four. I mean, yeah. that's super rare. So for him, you know, to him, for him to have those opportunities and then capitalize on those opportunities, I mean, that that's absolutely incredible. Um, but I do think that his his, his attitude uh, and my attitude match up, and I think that yeah, there'd be we'd have a lot of fun together. <laughs> yeah, well, I would love to be invited to that uh, <laughs> that night out at the bar. I think that'd be a hell of a time. <laughs> So uh, that, that would be great. Hope, we can yeah. just only wish for it that if that ever happens, you know, that you guys send us some selfies or well, a little you know, footage. Ryan Donahue lives not too far away from me. And I, I, I bump into him, um, you know, every once in a while around this area. And, um, and I still keep in contact with Murray and uh, Nate and Cody Asmus and David Bradley. I, I mean, it's we're like, you know, specialists, man. We're like a weird little family. We keep we stay together. Um, but that would be pretty cool to coordinate like a, a specialist reunion, you know, just show up at like uh, the outside the Memorial Union and just start dropping bombs here and there. Like, and no one and no one knows who we are. You, know? like, <laughs> you guys are. Yeah. No one knows who we are because we're so old now. <laughs> Tell I think everyone's going to know who you are. You're not, you're <laughs> you're recognizable for good. You and Keith are. That's for sure. And, and it, Nate. Yeah, um, I will say it, it is pretty. It, we do when we do go back and visit Iowa City. Uh, I do get quite a bit of people who recognize me, and that makes me feel good. Just because knowing that you did something good and you know you made an impact, it'd be quite the different story if I uh, <laughs> if I didn't. Well, it's it's been really cool online to see. Um, you just look. You have such a beautiful family, and uh, it's really cool to see. You know the pictures. You guys look just so happy. And uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the family and where you guys are living and what you're doing for work now. Sure. So uh, we live in Glen Ellen, Illinois. Um, we uh, when we first when we graduated, my wife and I. Her name is Holly. Uh, she's a principal in Schaumburg, and. 
when we first when we graduated in 06 we we moved out here i tried out for the nfl and you know that didn't that fell through so um i pretty much immediately got the job that i had for the last 14 years with naval special warfare um as the head strength and conditioning coach for uh, a preparatory program for navy seal and SWIC, special weapon combatant crewmen combatant craft crewmen uh candidates at the time uh, so these guys were all like you know recruited by naval special warfare to be seals or SWIC, and my job was to get them kind of like be the coach doyle for them um okay and also teach them some underwater survival skills, prep them for their training in Coronado, California. Well, you know, since I was there for so long, a lot of those guys that I trained ended up, you know, getting their trident, uh, going on a few deployments and then coming back to my program. Uh, and so at the time before I left, I was training active duty guys as well as um, uh, the same candidates. Uh, I think I saw over 21,000. Uh, special operations candidates go through that program since 2007. So very proud of what we were able to accomplish. But anyway, they, uh, uh, they decided uh, about three months ago that they were packing up and moving down to San Diego. So I love San Diego, but uh, you know, it's a great place to visit. Plus the cost of living is like 30% higher than here. So, so that's uh, all I thought it was more than that. It's insane to live down yep. there. Yeah, it's pretty insane. David Bradley lives down there. Um, a couple of my friends too. But uh, yeah, and you know, I have you know my wife. She's on a great career path. Um, my son Griff, he just turned five. Um, I have a seven-year-old daughter, Sophia, and uh, yeah, we live in Glen Ellen. We've got a nice little house uh, right near a forest preserve, so we're not bothered by much other than coyotes and <laughs> raccoons and bunnies. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, uh, after do, getting back on the job search, um, realizing how difficult that is, I uh, was talked into by a local guy here. His name is Matt McCollum. Um, I'm in residential real estate now. So, you know, learning the ways right now, I'm uh, almost two months into it and a lot to learn. I mean, it's a, definitely a grind, but at the same time, I was driving 96 miles a day up to the Navy base. Um, uh, and now my commute is only three. Uh-huh. I get, I get to wake up, eat breakfast, have coffee with my wife and my kids and take my daughter to school. I mean, my life has completely changed now, much more stress-free. And, um, you know, now I get to help people buy and sell homes, man. It's uh, it's an interesting world. Um, very interesting. Well, you know, from what I've learned about the real estate industry, you know, you're going to do fantastic. It's just that beginning stage, building that foundation, you know, getting um, certified and then building that client base, which you're not going to have any problem doing. No, that's, you know, if there's one thing that has been absolutely great about making this transition is creating that. Yes, like. Basically, I've had to tap into my phone, tap into everything and be like, okay, like I had a conversation with Chad Greenway the other day on the phone and or uh, I'm sorry, on uh, via email. And, you know, I'm going to call him here in a few days, but that alone, like I haven't spoke, I haven't talked to him and, you know, in years, I haven't talked to other guys in years, but this has been a great opportunity for me to reconnect with, with guys. Of course, there's Facebook, there's LinkedIn, there's Twitter and all that stuff, but that's not really connecting. That's not really, uh, you know, actually talking to somebody um, and reconnecting after all these years. So that's been really great um, 
And yeah, I, I actually know a lot of people. <laughs> you don't know you know a lot of people until you start until you until you uh, start out in real estate. <laughs> yeah, well, you're gonna do great, man. And uh, you gotta you know send Chad our way. We've been trying to figure out how to get a hold of him to get him on. He is not real accessible, so. No, you know, I think that uh, he is very busy with his, his gray duck stuff and, you know, he uh, all the stuff that he's doing outside and he's really he's really into what his daughters are doing right now. Um, uh, I don't know if he has. I mean, he, he picked up he picked up or he, he replied my email pretty quick. But I think that that's because him and I, you know, he used to block for on my field goals and yeah. um, the infamous onside kick uh, at the uh the Outback Bowl against Florida in 2005. Which was bull crap. I was there for that. Yeah, you know what? Um, he was again, not offsides. No, no, no. He was just so damn fast. Um, and, you know, I've never I've never blamed anybody for that. Uh, I mean, he, that was probably the most beautiful onside kick that I'll ever do, even when I, you know, show other kickers how to do it. Um, but... Uh, that referee crew got suspended after that. I don't know if you know that. They, yeah, I do know that. You know, I remember just the aftermath going out on the town after that game. And, uh, you know, I mean, everywhere you went around Ybor City in Tampa, uh, it was just complete pandemonium. I mean, um, you know, thousands of Hawkeye fans, thousands of pissed off Hawkeye fans staring at TVs, watching the ESPN replays and be like, you know, yeah, look, see, you know. That's it is unfortunate the way that turned out because uh, that was uh, that was Urban Meyer, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, see, that would have been cool to say too. I beat Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. That would have been awesome. We <laughs> talked to Drew about that. Drew said a couple at reps from ESPN grabbed him on the way out and said, "You guys got screwed bad." Like, and and all the bad calls that went towards us on that game. There's mm. some YouTube documentaries that went around how there's some conspiracy theories that there was a fix put in on that game. Hey man, you know what? It's 2021. We made it through 2020. I'm. I I, I would believe anything at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, like Drew said, it, you know, it sucks and it's frustrating, but life goes on. So yeah. you just gotta, you gotta move on. You know what? We still had a great experience. We were very fortunate. I mean, I know, I know guys, I'm friends with guys who played at the university of Indiana and you know, they had five losing seasons and never experienced a bowl game. So yeah. I'm very, very, very grateful and, and fortunate that we were able to experience what we, what we did experience. Well, Kyle, we're we're even more grateful that you took time out of your busy schedule, sell, selling homes and <laughs> making new connections. And you know, we know you're going to do awesome. So, if you're looking to buy a house, what's a good way that people can contact you? Well, uh, my work, yeah, I'm the website is is uh, MMT Chicago, uh, mmtchicago.com, and um, Give me a call. Give me a call. Let's talk. I mean, even if you just want to talk about football, it's great to talk to people. 630-491-4101. Yeah. And if you know anybody that's moving to the Chicago area, let me know. (laughs) Hawkeyes got to support Hawkeyes. Thank you. (laughs) All right, Kyle. Hey, man, it's great to catch up and see how everything's going and um, wish you nothing but the best going forward with the new career. And thanks for coming on with us at Nebraska Hawks Nest, man. All right. I had a great time. Thank you, guys. All right, Kyle. Go Hawks. All right. Go Hawks. See you guys.